I'm Victoria Powell. Welcome to The Gallery Companion. I'm running a bit behind schedule this week because I was in London for the Independent Podcast Awards this past Monday night. The awards celebrate all those small indie podcasters who don't have mega budgets or production companies behind them or or celebrity hosts. It's for people like me who lovingly create content in our spare time, recording the episodes huddled under the duvet for, for better sound quality. I was absolutely thrilled that the Gallery Companion made the shortlist and it was a real buzz to have that validation from the podcasting industry. Every week the number of people following my podcast ticks up and it's really exciting to see it grow. So thank you for listening and please, please recommend it to other people you think will enjoy it. Word of mouth is is a secret source for finding new audiences. This week, I want to talk about a really interesting book that I'm reading at the moment by the Canadian author Naomi Klein. She's a journalist and and an activist, and she's a professor of climate justice at the University of British Columbia. I've loved Klein's work ever since her first book, No Logo, came out back in 1999, in which she explored consumer culture and branding, investigating the ways in which big business exploits workers in third world countries in pursuit of profit. It was it was such a devastating critique of globalisation and the way in which late capitalism functions that Nike, one of the companies she focused on, had to move into damage limitation overdrive and issue a point-by-point response to protect their reputation. Klein's new book, Doppelganger, is a fascinating dive into the online underworld of conspiracies and misinformation, a subject which has become increasingly visible in the wider public consciousness since COVID. The starting point of the book comes from her experience of frequently being confused with the feminist author and now mega conspiracy theorist Naomi Wolf. They're both journalists, they're both Jewish, they're both around the same age, and of course they're both called Naomi. But Naomi Wolf, whose breakout book, The Beauty Myth, was first published back in 1991 to wide acclaim, has been going down some dark rabbit holes in recent years. She's now almost a daily guest on the podcast War Room, hosted by Donald Trump's former advisor, the right-wing political influencer and conspiracy theorist-in-chief Steve Bannon. Earlier this year, research from the non-profit public policy organisation, the Brookings Institution, crowned Bannon's show as the top peddler of false, misleading and unsubstantiated statements from Apple Podcasts' list of the 100 most popular political talk shows. Having a doppelganger whose reputation is for spreading batshit crazy conspiracy theories both alarmed and intrigued Klein. 
and in true investigative style with the grace and, and sophistication she has for weaving together facts and concepts into words that make sense and, and motivate, her book takes you on a journey into conspiracy culture. The three most popular subjects for, for conspiracy theories at the moment are climate change denial, election fraud and, and various stories about the COVID pandemic. But they all have the same basic ingredients. There are baddies at the heart of all of them, the hidden villains, the elites controlling everything behind the scenes. Then there are the victims, the people who are being taken for a ride, who are being fooled by these evil people. And finally, there are the heroes who have figured out the truth who are going to save everyone and who are working against the grain to unmask the baddies and, and bring them to light. Conspiracy theories are powerful because they mix grains of truth with make-believe and out-and-out lies. The most effective ones are examples of compelling storytelling that have the potential to, to tap into our implicit biases and to rile us up emotionally. As Klein says, conspiracy theories often get the facts wrong but get the feelings right. Something is being hidden from us. Something doesn't add up. There is impunity for the powerful. It's good to have a healthy scepticism about those in power because power corrupts and corruption very frequently goes unchecked. But this healthy scepticism can tip into something more sinister that we collectively need to combat. We are yet to see the results of the massive battle underway in the USA in defence of democracy and the rule of law with the legal cases piling up against Donald Trump. He is, is the ultimate storyteller with a sing-song voice, a shrewd political operator whose nonsense constantly taps into conspiracies, spreading hate and division and, and scapegoating certain groups of people. It's unlikely that Trump actually believes the lies he peddles, but he has certainly worked out that he just needs to sow enough doubt to make people question what the truth is. When that is to question the structures of democracy itself, we're in really dangerous territory. We've seen this happen throughout history when charismatic leaders and politicians understood that power lies with those who can control the narrative. It's exactly what happened in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Hitler blamed the Jews and the communists for social and economic problems in Germany that were in fact systemic with, with deep historical roots. And he led a destructive narrative from the top with persuasive storytelling and misinformation. But conspiracy theories are ultimately a distraction. They allow people to look away from the unbearable realities of our world, the, the horror of war, the injustice of social inequality, the frightening prospect of climate change. 
They thrive amongst the discontented and the anxious and the marginalised who turn to them to explain away problems that are actually a result of economic and social structures and systems that are complex and, and quite hard to understand or that involve us facing up to inconvenient truths. As Naomi Klein says, all of this is about not seeing. As I've been reading her book, I've had that image by the American artist Barbara Kruger in my mind. The future belongs to those who can see it from from 1997. It's a black and white close-up photo of a woman's face in profile looking upwards with a hand above her eye holding a pipette. Kruger is, is one of the leading artists of our generation and it's likely that you've seen her work circulated on social media. Probably her most famous artwork is Your Body is a Battleground, which she produced for the Women's March on Washington in 1989 in support of reproductive rights. It was resurrected and went viral last year when the US Supreme Court voted to overturn long-standing abortion legislation. Her work is, is all about holding power to account, questioning what we think we believe and what we read in the media. Her signature style is white text on a red background, as though she's, she's cut out headlines from a magazine, which she then pastes on top of black and white photos, putting together ideas and images that don't sit comfortably for the viewer. There's definitely something a bit uneasy about the future belongs to those who can see it. For me, it's both sinister, what's being dropped into the woman's eyes, exactly, and it's a call to be more aware, to be clear-eyed, to keep questioning what we see, to think about who or what is feeding us the narratives we hear and the images we look at, the messages that we consume in the media on a daily basis, and for what purpose. You know, it suggests that those who understand what's going on have a better chance of influencing what will happen, for better or for worse. There's a difference in, in the speed and reach of conspiracy theories that circulate now compared to the past, and it's due to the new attention economy that dominates all of our lives. That's one of the many interesting layers that Klein discusses in her book. You know, she asks who benefits from our addiction to social media and the information we are all incessantly consuming on our phones. These platforms have incentive structures that monetize the most clickable content. And that in itself drives creators to make more and more wild and salacious conspiracy claims. The democratisation of content creation and the ease with which we can all learn to use readily available software to produce eye-catching videos and images has led to the proliferation of noisy distractions on social media. And, and they come thick and fast. If you've been on Instagram and watched that cute dog dressed up as a postman delivering parcels, within no time you'll have watched 10 videos of dogs dressed up in, in Halloween outfits 
or as contestants in, in beauty pageants. And they're so addictive that you don't even know it's happening till you've, you've been doing it for a solid half hour. If your algorithm has got you marked as an anti-vaxxer or a climate change denier, you'll quickly be led down those rabbit holes. They're designed to pre- prevent us from seeing information that is less likely to challenge our beliefs and to connect us with people who share similar ideas. If you like this, then you'll like this. Keep watching, keep consuming, because that's how the companies make money. This is a subject of a brilliant film by the American photographer Cassandra Zampini, whose work examines the role of media in shaping our understanding of the world and our place within it. In her 25-minute work, Media Warfare, from 2020, the New York-based artist downloaded and compiled hours of conspiracy theory videos from the internet. It's not hard to find this content. You just have to follow a hashtag like Great Awakening or Second Civil War. Zampini's film is, is compelling viewing as one video quickly replaces the next, giving us a, a window into the madness of these conspiracy messages. Just like the videos of cute dogs on my Instagram feed, I was, I was totally sucked in and, and hooked by it. It's an artwork that that perfectly mirrors our online experience of algorithms and one that speaks of the sheer volume of misinformation circulating in plain sight. But what to do about all of this disturbing stuff? Some people argue that it's about holding media companies to account, making them do better on on content moderation and fact-checking. But as Zambini says, even when videos are censored, they quickly pop up elsewhere. They get shared and reposted out of anyone's control. Naomi Klein has another solution and one that is more realistic, in my opinion, and that is education. She argues that we we have to talk more about the systems and structures in our world that are causing inequality and leading us down the road to environmental catastrophe. Things like capitalism and patriarchy and imperialism. And then we need to get organising collectively to solve the real problems and to bring material improvements to our lives. It's all about finding political solutions. Part of this this necessary and urgent education is to raise awareness and understanding of the way in which the media operates and for whose benefit. We've got to constantly question orthodoxies and interrogate the beliefs that we hold. When I think about this subject, my mind often goes to the work of the South African artist William Kentridge. He makes short animated films that, like Barbara Kruger's work, ask us to to question what we think we know and understand. At one level, you can read his films as a crushing commentary on the white supremacist politics in the apartheid era. His film, The History of the Main Complaint, from 1996, was a response to the public testimonies heard in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission hearings that investigated the atrocities that occurred in South Africa. 
But there's there's meaning on another level in all of Kentridge's films, in the philosophy behind his process of making art. He constructs his films by drawing on paper using charcoal that he then photographs before rubbing out part of the drawing and changing it slightly, re-photographing it, rubbing it out, redrawing again, and so on. It's, it's a laborious process, which Kentridge calls Stone Age filmmaking. His films remind me of early black and white Mickey Mouse cartoons, in which you can really see the labour of the artist's hand in, in the unpolished animation. That handmade process creates an uncertainty in the line of his images and a constant shifting of views in the film. I don't know how to express the experience of watching it other than to describe that uncertainty as palpable. Kentridge has has talked about how he is interested in the process of how we think, how we take fragments and reinterpret them retrospectively to make sense of the world. Back in 2014, he said this, Uncertainty is an essential category. As soon as one gets certain, their voice gets louder, more authoritarian and authoritative, and to defend themselves, they'll bring an army and guns to stand next to them to hold. There's a desperation in all certainty, the category of political uncertainty, philosophical uncertainty, uncertainty of images, is much closer to how the world is. Conspiracy theories offer certainty in an uncertain world. People like Donald Trump use them to distract from confronting the real problems in our world to undermine faith in our democratic institutions and processes, to make money from his followers, and to grab power. So I'm all for embracing uncertainty and trying to encourage others to think like these artists who question the dynamics of power, because the nightmare alternative cannot be our future. As always, I'd love to know your thoughts on any of the ideas and artworks I've talked about here. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, click on the link to my Substack publication, thegallerycompanion.com, in the show notes. This is also where you'll find images of the artworks and videos of the projects, as well as a ton of links to more information. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it far and wide and give me a rating and a review as it helps me reach more people.